Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi, and a good afternoon to you. It's wonderful to be in your company this Wednesday afternoon here in Joburg. And of course, weather has improved, looks great outside. Beautiful, beautiful day, a beautiful midweek Wednesday. And here coming to you live from Joburg, of course. We're still broadcasting remotely, and therefore, um, apologies if uh, the sound isn't 100%, but I'm sure that by now you've all got used to that. And um, it is quite amazing how um, High FM, which used to have one studio, has now got studios uh, literally all over the country, and if not all over the world, where people are able to broadcast and come to you through the technology that is available. It is incredible and uh, marvelous. And kolakavod to the ladies and gents, the people who keep things going at Chai FM for all the hard work and the uh, beautiful integration of everything that they bring to us on a regular basis. But yes, it is live. Yes, we are sitting here in Joburg. Yes, I may be in my own office and sitting in front of my own computer, but uh, still able to talk to you through this medium, which, um, of course, is better than nothing. And uh, great to be with you wherever you are on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon. We're in the midst of the period of time that is known as the three weeks. We spoke about it last week, how the three weeks is Dafka, the name that we call it. We don't like to refer to it as the 21 days because the three weeks, the number three, gives us the hope we have had one temple destroyed. And then a second one destroyed. And the third one is going to be the one that will last forever. And so at the same time as we have this death and destruction, this period of mourning and downcast kind of a feeling, this feeling of near depression that we have unfortunately pervading us um, around this period of time, we have the hope. And the message of hope comes in at number three, the third Beit HaMikdash, the third temple which is waiting to descend, which is there in all its glory, and will soon arrive on that temple mount in Yerushalayim, Irakodesh, in the holy city of Jerusalem, when Mashiach will come. This is the hope in that number three. But over this coming weekend, we go into a heightened state of the three weeks. This is now a heightened state of mourning, unfortunately, that we go into in what is known as the nine days. The nine days begin on Shabbat. Shabbat itself, while Shabbat itself is um, excluded from a period of mourning, it does certainly count in the nine days. And so Shabbat is Rosh Chodesh Menachem Av. On this coming Shabbat, we herald the arrival of the new month, the month of Av. And in this month, of course, we have that awesome date of Tisha B'Av, of the 9th of Av, which is on Sunday a week. In other words, this coming Sunday, on week, we have Tisha B'Av. And on Tisha B'Av, we know, is the date on which we commemorate the destruction of those two Batei Middash, of those two temples, which were destroyed. Now, they stood in a combined um, four, uh, 830 years First Beit HaMikdash, first temple stood for 410 years. The second one for 420 years. <clears throat> for 830 years, this great, incredible edifice stood 
in Yerushalayim, in Jerusalem, on the Temple Mount. And there it represented this strong and beautiful connection between God and the Jewish people within the walls of those temples were not only the offerings that were brought on a regular basis and all the work of the Kohanim, of the priests and everything that they did and the incredible lighting of the menorah and all the other most magnificent and wonderful things that happened within the Beit HaMikdash, within the temple. But in addition to that, there was the strong, strong bond. It was the place of connection. It was the place where God was present in the lives of the Jewish people and by uh, the Jewish people being and doing whatever they did in order to spread that outward. It was something where the world, where heaven and earth actually connected, where the world reached up and reached to Shamayim and where the heavens reached down and reached down to earth. It was the place of the Sulam Mutsav Arza. It was the place where Yaakov Avinu, where Jacob saw the ladder standing on the ground, standing firmly on the ground and reaching up to the heavens. This image and this vision was really what these Batei Mingdash, these temples represented. And this heightened relationship between us and all the Almighty, between heaven and earth, was destroyed. Destroyed not once, but twice. A few hundred years apart, first by the Babylonians, second by the Romans, and taking as they did this destruction to the nth degree and getting rid of the temple and this point of connection, this point of contact between heaven and earth and between God and the Jewish people, between God and the world, they not only broke the spirit in a way of the entire Jewish people, but they sent us into exile, they um, ensured that there wasn't the same kind of heightened connection between heaven and earth, between God and his people down on earth. This was what these destructions actually meant. It was not only these things that happened at this time, but there were many, many other calamities that befell the Jewish people throughout our history during this period of time. If we think back to the 17th of Tammuz, which began the period of this 21 days or the three weeks, we know that there were several other things that occurred there, not the least of which was the fact that that was the day on which Moshe Rabbeinu, which Moses broke the tablets of stone, seeing that the people were gathering around the golden calf and worshipping it as though it was the God that took them out of Egypt. If we think about Tisha B'Av, so many calamities, including right up to the uh, beginning of the uh, First World War in uh, 1914, actually began also in earnest on Tisha B'Av. And there were many, many things that occurred on these dates throughout the history of the Jewish people. And going back to the time that we were in the desert, Tisha B'Av was the day on which the people died in the desert, 15,000 of them per year in the 40 years totaling the 600,000 that had to die out in the desert. And so this period of time is one of intense grief and mourning going back in history. But how do we take a look at it today? And what are the rules and regulations now coming up of these nine days? And how do we project it forward? And what is our job and our goal to try and make sure that these days don't remain as days of mourning and days of sadness? but rather that they are, as our prophets tell us, turned around to become days of great, great rejoicing 
the most uh, prominent date of the coming of Mashiach is, we are told, the day of Tisha B'Av. How do we actually get there and what do we do about it? Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi, and welcome back. Yes, great to be with you. Um, I'm not always sure if the music that is played during the uh, time of Sfira or the time of these three weeks actually doesn't cause us more pain and anguish than uh, it is meant to, being that it's uh, not always that listenable. But some of it is, of course, a little bit uplifting. And I guess that is allowed because there are several things that we are not allowed to do during this period of time. During the three weeks, we do not have weddings, although engagement parties without music are allowed until Rosh Chodesh, which is on Shabbos. We're not allowed to play musical instruments. That's for fun, I guess. Or to listen to music. We avoid that during this period of time. We do not say the bracha she'echeyanu, the blessing of thanking Hashem for the new fruit or new clothing and so on, which understandably then we wouldn't be doing during this time as well. And we do not take haircuts or shave uh, during this time as well, although many Sephardi communities permit haircuts and shaving until the week of Tisha B'Av. Now, Shabbat is excluded from all of these rules and regulations, except, of course, you cannot listen to music and you cannot have weddings and you cannot... Um, uh, and you cannot um, take haircuts, but of course on Shabbat we are in a completely different mode, in a completely different uh, space and feeling. And this is because Shabbat is called Me'ain Olam Haba. Shabbat is called a taste of the world to come, a taste of the future, a taste of post-Messianic era, a taste of uh, what it was like when we had the Beis Amigdash. This is a little bit of a taste of every Shabbos, every Shabbat has that heightened connection that we were speaking about before between heaven and earth, between ourselves and Shammai, between ourselves and God. And therefore, on Shabbat, we go into a completely different state of play, into a completely different frame of mind. And anything that we were not allowed to do during these three weeks, or more particularly during the nine days, on Shabbat, that is excluded. Now, it comes up to this coming Shabbat, and it's the Shabbos of Rosh Chodesh, it's Rosh Chodesh Menachem Av, and we're beginning those nine days. During the nine days, we have a heightened sense, as we said before, a heightened sense of um, in mourning. So, in addition to all of that, that we weren't allowed to do during the three weeks, during the nine days, we also now start avoiding any dangerous activities. Well, of course, you're going to say you should avoid dangerous activities at all times, but yeah, people would be careful with walking alone in a secluded place, with engaging in um, sports, perhaps, that are dangerous, or even scheduling surgery. We should try and avoid that uh, during this period of time. In fact, many would say that that should be during the entire three-week period, but particularly now as we go into the nine days. We then also make sure that we have um, taken care of all our laundry and uh, um, bathing requirements that need to be done before the nine days, because during the nine days, we're not permitted to do those things. It's not a time to start swimming lessons. It's not a time to go for a nice jacuzzi, a nice sauna, and so on uh, during the nine days. We avoid all of that, of course, as well. We also do not eat meat and we do not drink wine. 
Now here, Shabbat is excluded. In other words, on Shabbat we may eat meat and we may drink wine. In fact, there are many who say we should go out of our way to do that. If ordinarily we may not be doing that, we should go out of our way to do it. Drink wine, eat meat on Shabbat, but for the duration of the nine days other than Shabbat, we are not permitted to eat meat or to drink wine. Why meat and wine? Well, meat and wine, number one, were the mainstays of Simcha. But in addition to that, they were the mainstays of the offerings in the Beit HaMikdash in the temple. How can we be eating meat and drinking wine like there's no tomorrow when, in fact, the temple has been destroyed? And so, therefore, in deference to that, we do not eat meat, we do not drink wine, and we uh, refrain from those things right up until the day after Tisha B'Av. We, in fact, do that until the 10th day at midday, um, which will be Monday a week. During this period of time, there is one uh, unique um, status or unique event, and that's that during this period of time, the Arizal, Rabbi Yitzchak Luria, um, known as the Ari HaKadosh, the Holy Lion, as it was, he passed away on the 5th of Av in 1572 of the Common Era. And it was he who proclaimed that in these times we're allowed a duty bound to reveal this wisdom, opening the door to the integration of the teachings of Kabbalah, of mysticism, until then the province of the select few in each generation. And he brought that into mainstream Judaism. Now, his special day, the day on which he passed, on which his soul was elevated on high, is a kind of a bright spot of the fifth of um, Av in an otherwise bleak period of time. During these nine days of heightened observance of uh, mourning, while we are not engaging in bathing, while we are avoiding laundry, while we are not eating meat and not drinking wine, and while we are involved in all of these activities of mourning in a more intense way than we were up until now, there is also a counterbalance to all of that. Because... There are many people who during this period of time would try and introduce something to ensure that Simcha comes into this period of time. Now, it's not easy to arrange a marriage and it's not easy to arrange that you have a bris miller during this period of time, but you could arrange to make a siyum. There are many people who go out of their way during this time to make siyumin, the completion of a tractate of Talmud. And at this period of time when we, and during this period of time when we make a siyum, this creates us, for us, an opportunity to have a celebration because making a siyum obligates the siyum makers to um, a festive activity, to a party. And during that many would um, have a siyum that consists of meat and consists of wine. Um, however, there are many who follow the practice of the students of the Baal Shem Tov. The particular that to participate in the seum during the nine days, but nevertheless still refrain from eating meat. So, what we learn from this idea, from the idea of making a seum, and uh, therefore kind of getting ourselves into the mode whereby we may eat meat and we may drink wine, is that perhaps that wasn't the intention. There are many people who feel or think that, you know what, we're going to make a siyum, and in that way, I can eat meat during this period of time. Judaism was never as fickle as that, and as simplistic as that. But it was rather that we were finding ways of bringing joy into an otherwise bleak period of time. It wasn't as much 
about the concept of eating meat or of drinking wine. It's not about uh, being driven by our stomachs to uh, feel satisfied in a um, more, uh, let's call it a grub or a more physical or more down-to-earth kind of a fashion, but it was much rather the idea of introducing added simcha, of bringing joy into this period of time. And one of the things that is most joyous is the learning of Torah. And then, how much more so, the completion of a tractate of Talmud, completion of a tractate of Torah, which then invites and entices all those who have learnt and all those who are uh, participating to be able to participate in the simcha of a seal. It gives us um, an insight into what the thinking was and how Jews actually, for all time, have addressed the notion, the concept of sadness and of mourning. And it is not that we underestimate the power of the event that we are thinking about and that we are mourning for. It's not in any way undermining of the power of the loss of the Beit HaMikdash, not one but two Beit HaMikdash during this period of time. It's not just the idea of the fact that we bemoan our fate and we realize that for thousands of years we've been in diaspora, we've been in a gullus, we've been in exile, and things haven't been easy for us, and they don't seem to be getting any, any easier in a hurry. It's rather the notion and the action of doing something not only to lighten the burden, but to bring the power of simcha, of joy, into our lives. And is that not what we, each and every one of us, should be thinking about during this time? Yes, it's a sad time. Yes, it's a time of um, gross, terrible, terrible atrocities that were committed against our people over many, many, many uh, centuries and many decades and many years. And yes, it's a time of great loss and great sadness. But is that not the invitation that each and every one of us needs to say, how do we rectify that? We can't be destined to sit and moan and groan and bemoan our fate and cry forever. We can't be destined to sit here and say, oh, it's the three weeks, the nine days. You know what? Let me go on to a level five lockdown. Let me stay away from anybody and everything. And let me just cotton wool myself in my own isolation or quarantine and hope that things in the world will just pass me by. No, the job of a Jew is to live in this world. And the job of a Jew is to take this world and make it a better place. And the job of each and every one of us is to take this period of mourning and see how we can not only lessen the mourning, but how we can turn that mourning around, how we can change it from being something that is negative and sad and depressing and uh, downcast and uh, really, really dark and difficult to turn it around and say, how am I going to lift this if it's one seum at a time? Maybe it should also be one act of goodness and kindness at a time. Maybe it should be a way of inviting us to try and go out there and bring smiles to people's faces. Yes, we're at the moment during this pandemic and with all the things that are going on around us, we are in a state of um, kind of shell shock where people 
aren't 100% sure what we should be doing and how we should be behaving and what we should be thinking and uh, a little bit too depressed for my liking or for our liking or for the liking of Judaism, a little bit too down. And what we've got to do is to try and see how we can put smiles on people's faces. Now, within the restrictions, yes, of course, the fact that we don't have live music and we don't have uh, live simchas or weddings and so on, which, of course, are forbidden now because of the lockdown rules and regulations as well as the fact that it's the three weeks. But how do we turn this around in our own way? How do we bring about that um, smile on somebody else's face? How do we make sure that we uplift others and make them feel good? Well, there are several ways that this can be done. One of them is, of course, by learning Torah. By bringing more Torah, more light into the world, it gives people hope. It gives people strength. It gives people healing. It creates an environment and an atmosphere of positive thought and positive energy that uh, brings the most wonderful flow of great and wonderful things to the entire world. And then if we do acts of kindness and acts of goodness, the giving of charity, imagine the number of smiles that you create by giving charity, by making sure that people have a warm place to sleep at night, that people have food to put on their table, that we increase the energy of positivity in others, and it can be with simple acts, and it can be with simple amounts. It doesn't have to be huge. Or perhaps just by having a positive countenance, by going about our daily activities and being nice to other people and uplifting them. Instead of being grumpy and instead of going around and making people more depressed because of the fact that they happen to see our sad and morbid face, let's rather uplift them with a positive thought, with some positive energy with a positive drive to take this period of time and make it into one that is not nearly as sad and as bad, as hopeless as many would want us to think that it is. And let's try and make these nine days, rather, nine days of positive energy, nine days of positive activities, and nine days of getting us back to where we really should be from a spiritual point of view. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. One of the things that is most important during this period of time in order to really focus on what we should be doing and what we should be thinking is to learn through what the temple was about, to learn through the, the rules and the regulations and all of the laws that pertained to the Beit HaMikdash. One of the easy ways of finding this, if you would like to research it and to do it, of course, there's so much that is available online today. But if you look for Hilchas Beis HaBachira, the rules of um, the uh, temple that is expounded upon by the Rambam, by Maimonides, he gives us a complete picture of what the temple was all about, how the structures uh, were where they originated from, where they came from, what the foundation of it all was with the Mishkan, with the tabernacle in the desert, and then moving as it did to Shiloh, um, and then eventually to the Temple Mount, and what the first temple was all about, and what the second one was all about. And then, of course, looking with a view to the third one, as we mentioned before. But as we think about, and as we um, are... <coughs> 
caught up in this period of time of mourning and of sadness. The same way as that announcement just before the break was that we need to try and immortalize um, the people who we have lost and think about the things that they stood for and try and emulate them and walk in their footsteps of goodness and of kindness and of wonderful things. So too, as we mourn for the Beit HaMikdash, for the temples, we need to know what they're about. Just to say we're mourning for the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, we're mourning for the destruction of the temple, is pretty empty if you think about it, unless you really know what it meant to us, what it was truly all about. What went on there? What were these sacrifices, these offerings, what were they truly all about? What was the structure of the Beit HaMikdash of the temple? <coughs> what were the great wonders and miracles that took place there? What was the history of it all? And of course, as we study that, it becomes more, not only more pertinent to us and not only more um, uh, alive for each and every one of us, but it becomes something that we can grow to understand that we really can't live without, to yearn for it more, to beg for it more, to ask for it more, to try and do whatever we can to bring it back. And as our sages have told us, that one brick at a time, one little piece at a time, we can actually rebuild the Beit HaMikdash, because the third Beit HaMikdash will not only stand on the foundations of temples one and two, but it will stand on the foundation of all the mitzvahs, of all the wonderful things, all the acts of goodness and kindness, all the Torah that has been learnt, all the great and wonderful things that we have done in this time of diaspora, and now particularly coming as we are closer and closer to the coming of Mashiach and the rebuilding of that temple, it will be the very structure that hopefully will descend um, constructed by God Almighty himself the third Beit HaMikdash, the third temple, in all its glory. So let's focus on what we can do and how we can build and our knowledge base of all the things that we need to know about the Beit HaMikdash. And in so doing, hopefully very soon, we will be able to make it happen, get it to become a reality. That really should be our focus of these three weeks and these nine days that we now have lying ahead of us. Be back with you after this break. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Yes, back with you on Judaism 101.9. We've been talking about the three weeks and the nine days and perhaps a completely different view of it all and because it's not only about restriction, but it's about what we can do. It's not only about mourning, but it's about how we can change it all. And it's not only about sitting in doom and gloom, but it's about going into this period of nine days, starting on Shabbat and all the way through to Tisha B'Av, in thinking about and contemplating how we can actually make a difference. Each and every one of us can. Each and every one of us should. And as we dedicate ourselves to a little bit more time of Torah learning, and perhaps particularly in learning all the things about the Beit HaMikdash, the laws about the Temple, and at that time, as we gain a vast knowledge of what this Beit HaMikdash, what this temple was all about and what it will all be about, and as it becomes so much more of a reality to each and every one of us, we'll be able to carry that forward in action, in doing good things for 
others, in doing good things for our friends, neighbors, community, and for the whole world out there, in making the whole atmosphere change to be one of building and of growth and of positive energy. And the energy will become infectious and the energy will carry us forward with smiles and with gratitude and with happiness and with a positive focus on just how great the temple will be rather than how sad it was that it was destroyed, how wonderful it will be in the future as Mashiach will come, the temple will be rebuilt and will be out of this diaspora, away from pandemics and suffering and pain and all the misery that unfortunately we've become so acclimatized to. We'll be able to change that whole uh, ethos and break all the barriers and make sure that very, very soon we'll be out of this uh, discomfort zone and into one that is so much more comforting and so much more comfortable for each and every one of us. Please God, it should happen very, very soon, speedily in our time. I want to wish you all a great Shabbat up ahead, a wonderful Chodesh, because it is Rosh Chodesh on Shabbos, and a great nine days coming up ahead. Yes, sad, and yes, filled with mourning and so on. But how do we turn that all around? That is our job. That's our task. And that hopefully will be how we will spend the next week and a half going forward and seeing to it that when Tisha B'Av comes around this year, it will be one of great and wonderful things rather than things of sadness and of doom and of gloom. I look forward to being back with you again, same time, same place next week on another exciting installment of Judaism 101.9.